Let's turn to, you know what, let's turn to Mark 11, uh, 23 first. 11, uh, we're going to read 22 through 25, and then we're going to go and camp in 1 John. Mark 11, a very familiar passage of scripture for uh, some of us, and um, it was uh, Dad Hagen's favorite passage of scripture, because it's the passage of scripture that uh, he got revelation on, and uh, was raised up uh, and healed of uh, three incurable diseases. Mark eleven twenty two, and Jesus answering said, have faith in God. Margin of my Bible says, have the faith of God. One translation says, lay hold on God's faithfulness. So we're talking about where is our attention focused? Where does the word of God tell us our attention is focused according to this scripture? On God. So we're not looking at ourselves. Jesus said, you know, remember this is, he had cursed the fig tree the day before, and then they come back by it again on the way back. And the disciples said, Lord, look, the tree that you cursed is withered from the roots. So they're not saying like it's beginning to like wither, but from the roots, the thing dried up and withered. And, they, and Jesus answering their pondering said, have faith in God or lay hold on the faithfulness of God. Lay hold on the unchangeableness, the constancy of God, or have the very faith of God. So he knows they're wondering and they're marveling about this, and he draws their attention to God. He said, okay, don't even look to me. Have faith in God. Because remember, Jesus, everything he did, he did not do of his own self, he said. He said, whatever I hear the Father say, that's what you see me doing. And whatever I see him do, that's also what you see me doing. So in other words, he's seeing God do some things, and he's hearing God say some things. His life is completely given up to whatever the will of God is, even though he is God in the flesh. He's completely submitted to God and to the word of God, being the word of God. And so Jesus said, get your attention on God. And then he's going to give us what many of us maybe have already read, uh, some keys to acting in that kind of faith. But that kind of faith is in the person of God. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in yourself or faith in someone else unless that someone else is God himself or Christ himself. So Jesus said, have the faith of God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and will not doubt in his heart but will believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he'll have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Hallelujah. In other words, this is amazing passage of scripture and faith is not my subject right now, so I'm not gonna go too far there. Verse 25, and when you stand praying, Forgive if you have aught against any. Why? That your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses or your mistakes. In other words, the context of this wonderful passage of Scripture, probably the most wonderful thing Jesus ever said on the subject of faith that's written in the Word, is right here. And the context of this is that we are looking to God. We're not looking to ourselves. We're not looking to other people. We're looking to God. In other words, before he says, you can speak to this mountain, he's saying, you are holding on to God. You are laying hold of the very faith of God, right? So this is the context. In that context, 
if you are holding on to the very faith of God, and, and as I've said before, faith is a, is a complete surrender. In order to believe God or to have faith in God or to lay hold of the faithfulness of God, you cannot be laying hold of other things. You cannot be laying hold of self-confidence and you cannot be laying hold of, oh, what uncle so-and-so said or, you know, grandma said. You can't be standing upon that. You have to release that in order to grab hold of what God said. So faith is in Christ and faith is always present tense. Faith is always right now. It's not, well, I meditated on these healing scriptures uh, five years ago. I remember I had this great revelation and everything, and now I kind of look at it, and it's kind of like, huh, yeah, I see it, but not like it was. No, you're not in faith about that at the moment. Because why? Jesus said in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, which is present tense, and hearing by the word of God. Literally in the Greek, it says by the rhema of God. What is rhema? Well, rhema is not a Bible school. It is, but rhema is a spoken word of God to you at the moment. In other words, when you get a rhema, you can be reading the word, meditating in the word, and, and you're reading, all of a sudden, something pops out to you. Your attention's drawn to it, and you see it, and you're like, oh, I never saw that before. That is a rhema right there. That's how faith comes. In other words, the second that happens, you need to be speaking as an action, and many times doing something physical as an action because faith is present. Faith is in usable form right there. That's not of your head. That's of your heart. Faith is of the heart. With the heart, man believes. With the mouth, confession's made unto. So the second that that happens, you all of a sudden, you make confession of what you just saw from the rhema, what you heard from the rhema. And you speak that um, because that's how faith comes and faith is in active form. Hebrews 11 one says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Not yesterday faith is a substance of thing hoped for. Not tomorrow faith is a substance of thing hoped for. It, it feels ignorant to even say yesterday faith or tomorrow faith because that's, that's not possible. It's now faith. So now faith is a substance of things hoped for. But one of the biggest reasons that faith does not work is because we're not doing verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought. Ought means any little thing against anyone. In other words, the smallest little thing. Well, you know, um, faith works by love. So if your faith is going to work, you're going to be acting in love. And love, by its very definition, which probably one of the best definitions of love is found in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. But love requires... The same thing as faith. Love requires that you give up of your own self, your own things, and you direct it towards the other person. Faith requires the same thing. If you're going to have faith in God, you're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting your own abilities or your own power to produce a resolution to the problem situation that you're facing. You are trusting in God. You have given up of your own ability. Sometimes I think our greatest challenges are where we have the greatest strengths naturally. Maybe even God-given. Do you understand? Like there's natural graces. Funny, I did not intend to talk about Brother Higgins much this morning, but he's such a good illustration. Do you know he had a natural, two natural abilities his whole life? One, he could pick any lock, and two, he could tame any wild animal. Just kind of funny facts, right? 
I just say that because there are natural things, like you're naturally good at this or that or whatever. But many times, those things, I know for myself, uh, I used to be an intelligence analyst. And um, people would always tell me, military intelligence, that's, of course, what? An oxymoron. <laughs> at any rate, uh, it, it came very naturally to me to analyze things. In fact, I was on a missions trip a few years ago right after the um, revolution in Egypt, and they were still kind of in disarray over there. And I was ministering at a Bible school, a Raymond Bible school over there, actually. And um, one of the guys, the local guys that was one of the leaders in the Bible school, he finally looked at me. He looked at me across the table. And he said, are you CIA? And I was like, <gasps> I was never CIA. I was NSA. But I was like, what did I like? I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. And I'm like, you know, you graduate from school. I was in military intelligence. And when you graduate from school, many times they'll give a, a, a letter like Saudi Arabia sent letters to our intel graduates saying, congratulations. It's, another, it's a nice way of saying, um, we know your name. We know what you're doing. You know, so I'm thinking like, oh my God, oh my goodness, how do they know my name, you know? Like, what's going on? Uh, but anyhow, just because I said, why do you ask that, you know? He said, because the questions you ask are just like a CIA uh, person. You know, because I was, you know, that's just my personality is what I'm trying to say. But anyhow, that, which can be a great asset, can actually be one of the greatest things that hinders me from flowing with the Holy Ghost and from following the Lord. It's not a point to, like, not use your natural giftings, but it's to allow God to use your natural giftings. Do you understand? So there's a difference, like, you can have, some people get born again, they're like, okay, I'm going to quit my job, even if it's not a bad job doing, you know, horrible things or something like that. Well, I should just quit my job. No, 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 no. The point is, God has now come to live inside of you and to infuse you with himself, with his power, with his love, with his nature, so he can show up at your job. And so probably you need to stay at your job, because God wants to be there, and he has to have uh, flesh uh, to show up in and to dwell in. And so one of the greatest things, Brother Higgins said, if I was having trouble with uh, sickness in my body, this would be the first place I would look. Am I walking in love? He said, because if I've ever had trouble with it, it's because I wasn't walking in love. Uh, any step out of love for the believer is sin. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, you know, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. You know, that our commandment is to love the Lord and to love others. Now, let's look over at uh, 1 John. Hallelujah. 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to read this in... Um, New Living Translation. Dear friends, we're going to start with verse uh, 7, and we're going to continue through verse 21. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Man, that's a powerful scripture. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, 
God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testified how Father sent his son to be the savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. Remember that. We have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God. This is amazing. I love this passage of scripture. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Actually, I'm going to stop there uh, with verse 19. This is the answer to like every relationship problem that exists on the earth. And it is love. But just for the couple minutes that we have remaining, I want to focus on... uh, Perfect love, verse 18, casts out all fear. So I want to give you an example. Uh, you know, the first example would be my children or children. But you could do the same thing with a husband or a wife. But if I have my children and I'm instructed of the Lord to train them in his nurture and his admonition, you know, uh, that I'm not just supposed to let them go however they want. I don't know why they're acting that way, but I have to train them. Much like you would have to train a horse. You have to teach a horse. And sometimes we're more patient with training an animal than we are with training our own children. And so perfect love casts out all fear. So think of yourself. Even if you've made a mistake, if you've ever made any mistake in your life, and maybe when you were a child, or maybe with a husband or a wife or a friend, And you're going to approach the person that you have made the mistake with. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What is it like? Well, perfect love casts out all fear. So when you approach a relationship difficulty, if you're the one, not the one that had made the mistake, but the one that's being approached, if you approach that person, you allow them to approach you in perfect love, which is the God kind of love that thinks the best, that believes the best, that is patient with them. You know, love is patient does not mean love is patient with the line at the supermarket or the amusement park or the bank. Uh, That word patient always, always refers to being patient with people. And so if you approach someone, say, say you're the one that kind of messed up, and you approach someone And they are dealing with you in perfect love. They're being patient. They're being kind. 
They're being tender-hearted. They're believing the best. They're giving you the benefit of every doubt. You know, I had an experience. Uh, the Lord was talking to me, and he said, what does it look like if somebody's neutral? Is it okay if you're just neutral? And I thought, well, what do you mean, just neutral? He said, well, what's it like if you're just neutral? So you come into a meeting, and you're like, you're not against because you know as a believer, like you, it's wrong to be against people. You're not against people. You're against the devil, but you're never against people. So they come into this meeting, and they're just like, oh, well, he's just saying this. He's just saying that. And the Lord ministered to me that being neutral is not enough because if you're going to act in love, you actually, love believes the best of every person in every situation. So you actually take of your resources and your person, and you come right around and you say, you know what, I'm on your side. Uh, I I'm with you in this. So that if, like, you're having trouble with somebody, and all of a sudden they come and they say, hey, Eddie, I love you, man. I want to see your very best. I've been praying for you. I've spent time talking to the Lord about your situation, and I want to help you in this. I want to come alongside you. You know, it's a big difference than just to say, well, Eddie, you know, I just pray everything will turn out okay. Hope everything goes okay. You know, it's kind of like the scripture. If you see someone in need, and then you say, well, I'm going to pray for you, but you don't give them some money, you haven't done anything, right? And so uh, you give them finances, you come alongside them, and you bear the burden with them. So you're on their side. And so perfect love casts out all fear. And when we act in perfect love, faith is expressed in word and action. And so if you're going to express your faith in love, that means you're going to say something and you're going to do something that is an act of love. Well, that means, first of all, you're going to come patient. And it means you're going to come believing the best. And you're going to come entreating them. You're going to say, hey, hey, tell me what's going on. You know, uh, there must be some misunderstanding. You, you know I really love you. With marriage, so many times what I like to help people do is, including myself, <laughs> is you go back to what first attracted you to that person. What was, what was some of the first things? You know, and for myself, one of my personal keys to a successful marriage has actually been, of course, walking in love, this passage of Scripture. But you can't just always say, well, just do that Scripture. Well, you could. That's the truth. But how do you do that Scripture? And so for me, I realized after maybe two or three years of marriage, and we've been married for 16 years now, Melody and I, I realized after the first couple years of marriage, she was starting to annoy me a little bit. But you know what? She hadn't really changed. If anything, she changed for the better, but she definitely hadn't changed for the worse. But the little things, like I tend to like have things planned out and do all this, and she's very spontaneous. And she's like, oh, da, 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 let's do this. Or she's like, uh, as far as time, she's not really time conscious. So she's not really aware. Like, like uh, she would not know it was my birthday. She would not know, you know, it was like uh, Father's Day, any of those type of things. So I grew up in a family where, like, you celebrate your birthday on your birthday, <laughs> right? It wasn't quite like national holiday where some people's are national holiday, you know, but it was like this is when you celebrate it. So this was new to me. But she would just kind of be unaware of a lot of things. Uh, but so I was kind of like disgusted, I guess, at this uh, one particular date. And I was starting to talk to the Lord, you know, and it uh, just came up in my spirit, well, 
you know, this is what you, one of the things that attracted to you, her, you to her in the first place. And I thought, no, it's not. And then all of a sudden the thought came back and I remembered like, oh yeah, I do love that about her. I do love all that. And so the Lord really put me in the right direction so that I saw like, you know what? The things that I really love about her, if I let them, they could really annoy me. Or I could just choose to say, I love that you are so different than I am, that you think so totally opposite of what I think. I mean, obviously our basics are the same as far as uh, the Lord and Christianity and raising kids, but as far as how you interact. And um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll finish with this because uh, we're kind of out of time. And that is, um, we, we helped a minister named Jim Hockaday for about a year. We'd show up at several of his meetings and do his book table for him and drive him around and help him out. And, and um, he used to be over at Parent Healing School at Raymond. He still travels around. He'll probably come to our church someday. And um, anyhow, we were going to a meeting of his, and a friend of mine wanted to come. And so I said, oh, sure, let's, let's go. And so my wife and my friend and I set out in our car, and we headed off from Tulsa, Oklahoma to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so, you know, I think that's a, I don't know, a 10 or 12-hour drive. I don't even remember now. But it's a, a little ways, but not super far. So we're going, and we get about an hour and a half, two hours down the road. All of a sudden, my friend, his name is Glenn, he said, um, hey, uh, I'm hungry. Let's stop and get some food. And I thought, we are like just two hours down the road on a 10 or 12-hour trip. And, but I thought, oh, okay, well, I didn't say any of this, but I, I thought, well, okay, maybe he's hungry. We'll eat now, and then we'll, then we'll really be able to do a long stretch. And so, um, and at that point I said, well, you really want to stop? Melody's like, yeah, I'm hungry too. That's a good idea. And so we stopped and got some food, uh, snacks, and then they got some coffee and I don't drink a lot of coffee. So I don't remember what I got, but, uh, I got a little something. And then we went down the road and sure enough, hour and a half, two hours down the road, I have to go to the bathroom because you have the coffee, you have to use the restroom and, and I'm a little hungry. And so I'm thinking, what? And so we stop again and um, do the same thing. And the whole trip is like this. We stop like every hour and a half or two hours. Well, I'm used to like you get in the car and you go until the bladder can't stop. I mean, the bladder can't stand it anymore and then you stop. And so we go, we get about maybe two hours. We're in Santa Rosa, New Mexico. We stop in Santa Rosa again for a snack and some coffee. And, um, you know, my wife is using the restroom and I'm waiting for her and my friend Glenn is there and he's looking at these little knickknacks they have in Santa Rosa at the gas station. And he pulls out this coffee mug and he's like, huh, the blue hole. Well, by, by this time in the trip, I'm like ready to be there. And so I'm like, yeah, that's real cool, Glenn. You know, let's go. And he's like, no, no, the blue hole. He's like, I wonder where that is. That must be around here. And I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if it is, but that's cool. That's a nice picture. And Melody comes out. And he's like, the blue hole. She's like, oh, I wonder if that's here. And so they end up going talking to somebody at the little uh, convenience store. And they said, oh, yeah, the blue hole's right over there. And I thought, oh. <laughs> I've learned since then to enjoy the journey, which was, so that was my fault, you know. So anyhow, we go to the blue hole. And we each change in the car separately into our swimsuits because it's a swimming hole. And so we go, we get in the water. And um, the blue hole picture was like this aqua, beautiful water, like the Caribbean, just gorgeous. And we get in, and we're kind of swimming, and it's kind of muddy a little bit, and it doesn't seem that beautiful. And so we're swimming, and I said to him, I said, well, man, why did they put this on a mug like this, a blue hole? And somebody said, uh, somebody else swimming next to us said, this is not the blue hole. <laughs> I said, what? They said, the blue hole is over there. This is just like a regular swimming area. And so I we said, oh, so we got out and we went to the blue hole. 
Well, the blue hole is amazing. And it's like 100 feet deep, crystal clear blue water, probably maybe the size of like two basketball courts, but it's a, it's a circle. And it goes down into this uh, opening at the bottom, 100 feet down of the blue hole. And they have a, a, a gate there that's locked off for divers. And you can go diving in these caves and go even further and do all of this type of stuff. And of course, we weren't divers, so we didn't do that. But had these cliffs and you jump into it and it is ice cold water. Very cold, but crystal clear. And so I'm really glad that we did stop at the blue hole. But our personalities were so different. And, um, you know, easily those differences could drive a wedge between us instead of uh, me appreciating the differences. And I get to see so many more things now because normally I would only see point A, point B. But with my wife, I get to see many more points along the way. But I could easily get the perspective of, uh, why do you do that? Don't, don't you know we have to be somewhere at this time instead of just like building extra time into the schedule <laughs> so that we can still keep our commitments and do those things. Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love means mature love. In other words, you've matured in the love of God, the love of Christ, and you allow that love to dominate you. So no matter what the situation is, the relationship conflict, or even if it's not a conflict, I encourage you this week, act in the God kind of love. When someone approaches you, you know, the Bible says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. If you'll put that into practice in your life, sometimes immediately, especially if someone comes with very attacking words, you can't just always like, um, if you respond immediately, you probably will say something you should not say. So it's important to just take a pause and be quick to hear, slow to speak. When people say stuff, especially if it's very cutting things, typically the words that you're hearing are not the problem that they're trying to address. It's just a symptom. And many times the problem is, I feel like you don't trust me. I feel like you don't respect me. I feel like you don't love me. And this is an action that I'm doing to express that, albeit that's not a good action. But in other words, many times, most of the time, when people are doing that, there's something else going on. And you're just seeing like the surface reaction. And the devil's plan is that you and I react to the surface reaction because then he's got division going on. And if he can divide you, he'll conquer you. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. So it's important, whether it's a friendship, a marriage, or raising your children, that you are like 100% behind them. You know, I started out talking about kids like, you can do this. You are amazing. I actually talked with one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, <laughs> this week. But uh, they were struggling. It was one of my boys. Uh, he was struggling with some things. And... Um, I said to him, I said, you are a man of God. He's like, no, no. And I said, yes, you are. I said, don't you remember Gideon? The angel said, you mighty man of valor, before he had done anything, when he felt just like you feel right now. And I said, the way God works is he calls those things which be not, which we may not see, as though they were. 
I said, so you are a mighty man of God. You have a call of God upon your life. God loves you. He has a plan for you. And he sees you doing the right thing and acting in the right way. Well, it took me maybe, I don't know, five minutes. But I just started to speak the word in an everyday sort of way to him. And basically telling him, you're amazing when you act like God acts. When you do what the word says. And you can do anything. And you won't be defeated. And God, he trusts you and he has a plan for you. I remember T.L. Osborne, I was so blessed to be in some of his meetings. And he said, your faith in God does not impress me. And your love for God does not impress me. What impresses me is God's love for you and God's faith in you. When you know that God loves you, and you know all of your mistakes, all of your failures, all of your weaknesses, and God still chose to love you, you, you can't help but respond to that. So people that are not responding to that, that just tells me you don't know how God loves you. You're not acquainted with his love. And when you become acquainted with that kind of love, then, you know, we love, why? Because he first loved us. So as soon as we learn to receive his love, we can give that love away. And then we can approach people in perfect love. And then the fear of not being accepted goes away. Think about it. Even in marriage, you know, even as a pastor, you know, we all have faults and uh, shortcomings. And with your own husband or wife, there can be like, uh, you know, sensitive areas that you don't even want your spouse, who you know loves you, to reject you. you know, do you know what? You get in the presence of God. Even in the presence of God, there's some things that you want to hold back because there is a slight fear that God will reject you. But God will never reject you. And when we act and just allow the love of God that is in our hearts to pour out from our hearts in our interactions with other people, you'll find your relationships will go up the ladder next level, next level, next level, next level. And you'll find such intimacy and such strength and such unity begins to flower in the, in the lives of your relationships. Stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know the God of love, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, God so loved you that he gave his only son for you that whoever would believeth on him, whoever believes on Jesus, wouldn't die, wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you'd like to receive him, I want you to slip up your hand so we can pray with you and we can pray for you. Your life instantly will be changed and you'll be infused with the very life of God. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us with an everlasting love. I pray, Father, for each person that's here and each one maybe that's not here but that's listening. Father, that your love would abound in our lives more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that we may approve things that are excellent, that we may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. We thank you, Father, for your love. I pray, Father, that each one of us 
will receive in our spirits the fullness of the love that you have poured into us already and that will live in light of that love. In Jesus' name.